Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. It's Charles Watts here. It is Wednesday. I hope you're all having a good start to the week. Lots to talk about today. has been a busy day, busy 24 hours in the world of Arsenal. We've had bids for Declan Rice go in. Lots more speculation on several other players. Kai Havertz as well, sort of leading the front with that one. So plenty to discuss. We'll go with some of your questions at the end, as always. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, fantastic journalist on the Arsenal beat, Sam Dean of The Telegraph. How are you going, Dino? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Busy day for you yesterday. I have to say, I don't miss it too much. The moment being at the forefront of all this uh, Arsenal transfer stuff, enjoying my downtime this summer before the new season kicks off. Um, and it has been a busy day, isn't it? It's been, it's kind of been gearing up in the last few days, I think, to things all kicking off for Arsenal. And it did kick off a little bit yesterday with a second bid for Declan Rice finally going in. Not a successful bid. We know Arsenal's bid around the sort of 75 million mark up front with add-ons taking it around 90 million, but West Ham again saying no. Now, Dino, the big question, are Arsenal going to sign Declan Rice? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Obviously, there is a chance of another team coming in. And I think it's fair to say it would it would suit West Ham for this to be dragged out for a, a little bit longer to, to sort of raise the chances of someone else coming in. But Arsenal are confident that Declan Rice wants them. I don't think that's particularly uh, closely guarded secret. And they're clearly getting there. They're getting closer to a valuation and an offer that, that West Ham want. Um, we, we've reported at The Telegraph... Um, last week that Manchester City uh, considered Declan Rice to be a strong option. And we know for a fact that they have the money uh, to effectively blow Arsenal out of the water if they wanted to. Um, 
obviously they can't do that unless they get some sort of assurance from Rice. And as far as we know, and as far as we can tell for now, there has been no such assurance and it's clearly Arsenal in the driving seat. But obviously they have to get a deal done. Um, Yesterday's bid, as you say, 75 plus 15. I I think it's interesting the, the sort of discussion around these bids and the way they've been structured. That's a total bid worth £90 million is, is £18 million more than Arsenal have ever spent on a player in their history. This is a serious offer. And I know at first the, the sort of response uh, on social media and from fans to the opening bid, um, which was lower than than reported widely, uh, it, it has emerged, was sort of, uh, this is derisory, why aren't Arsenal just paying what West Ham want? Um, but I think you have to look at a £90 million bid and, and say, yeah, that's... That's a serious offer. And obviously West Ham are entitled to reject that, but nobody can accuse Arsenal, I don't think, of of really trying to sort of be disrespectful or, or lowballing West Ham at, at this point. They're they're pushing hard for a player they really want and a player who is clearly going to be absolutely fundamental to the midfield rebuild this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get I absolutely agree with you there. I mean it's Arsenal's club record fee at the moment is obviously seventy two million for Nicolas Pepe and this blows that out of the water. It's like you said, it is a very serious bid. And I think I think from an Arsenal fan point of view, isn't it, the frustration is they're looking at this priority target that we all know about as very similar to what happened in January with, with Mikhailo Mudrik. And the longer it drags on, the more worry is that someone like City is going to come in and get it done. And Arsenal fans thinking, why don't we just pay the money? We, we've been talking to West Ham for a while. We know what they want. This is their captain, 24 years old, England international, regular on the first on the team sheet with Gareth Southgate. Why don't we just go in and pay the money right now? But it doesn't really work like that when it comes to transfers. And like you and I, I've been, I was speaking to someone at Arsenal yesterday who was very keen to point out that this is a club record bid. And... It's it's one to be taken seriously, but West Ham believed to want around 100 million pounds. So, do you think Arsenal will get there? Do you think that's the the price they're going to have to pay if they're going to get this over the line? Well, the thing is, you can you, you can get there in different ways, can't you? You can get there with an upfront bid of you know 100 million guaranteed, paid over six years, five years, or you can get there with add-ons, but maybe the structure is more favourable, so you pay over two or three years, and there are add-ons involved. So, I think the actual the actual figure itself is it's obviously a nice headline and it's easy for people to understand and digest, but, but, but really it, a lot of it is add-ons and structures and complicated things that frankly journalists are never going to be entirely privy to and, and, and there's never going to be made public, but it's those sorts of negotiations and the structuring of it, the way it's framed that will make the difference really. But, but as far as we know, West Ham want both a bigger guaranteed fee and a more favorable payment structure than Arsenal are currently offering. So whatever they do, they'll have to improve that offer. Um, West Ham want 100 million. Whether Arsenal get there by doing 90 plus 10, for example, or 85 plus 15 or whatever, or even just 100, that that remains to be seen. And you know how transfers work. If, if Arsenal put together a bid that's ultimately worth 100 million, but is 85 up front, for example, then everyone can sort of be happy and say they got what they wanted from it. Um, so that that's probably my expectation at this point, that something like that will happen where it's kind of structured differently and the add-ons are in there. But but frankly, it's 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 all happening now. Um, it's it's ongoing, talks are ongoing. Um, Arsenal, as, as I'm sure you know, Charlie, are, are pretty confident on this one. I think they're going to get it done. And I think from my side, I share that. But yeah, obviously, the fear is that 
if Pep Guardiola calls you and says you're going to be the main man in my place and we've got a hundred million pound check ready to go in the post to West Ham, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly situations change. And you mentioned the Mudrick one. I think that was very different given the various different issues going on there and, and Shakhtar Donetsk and the, the issues they were having. And even the fact that it was involving a Ukrainian club and Ukrainian player, like there are different elements at play there that made it more complicated, I think. Um, whereas the Rice deal is... I think easier in in, in that so not financially, but easier sort of in all the other logistical ways. So I expect it to be done. But also on the just quickly on the uh, on the bids and the talking about sort of lowballing and and what have you. I mean, I have the same sort of feeling sometimes of if you know what a club wants, just pay what they want. Um, but I was talking to an agent completely not involved at all with this deal, or even with Arsenal, talking to an agent about a separate deal and a separate bid. And he was saying, well, no, you've got to start low because then you negotiate upwards from there. If you start high, if Arsenal came in with 110 million, for example, straight away to West Ham, West Ham would have said 130. Because mm. that's just how negotiations work in any in any sort of field, really, um, not just in football and big money deals. So I understand that to a degree. Um, it's easier when there are release clauses, obviously. Uh, and mm. in this case, there is no release clause. I think with Rice, I, 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 yeah, I get what you're saying. I think there's the one issue of Rice is that he's West Ham's captain, isn't he? He's 24. They're not going to give him away. And I feel if he's absolutely your priority on most players, you absolutely negotiate, try and get the best price. But I think with Declan Rice, it's a little bit different just because of how important he is to West Ham and what he means to the club, what he means to the fans. And if they're going to let him go, they want to make sure they don't, they, they get the price that they want for him. So I think there's, that's one issue with this one. I think sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and pay what the club will want if you really want to get it. And we know that Declan Rice is a priority. And I do think he'd be a transformational signing for Arsenal. I've spoken about this with you before, how good a player I think Declan Rice is and the impact he will make on this team. I think he'd probably be the biggest signing Arsenal have made since Sol Campbell in terms of what it would mean, the message it would send out. Um, you know, A couple of years ago, we would never have even envisaged Arsenal being in a position to be able to sign someone like Declan Rice. And it shows the kind of upward trajectory that they've been on, that they're in the position that he wants to join Arsenal over other clubs as well. I think it would say an awful lot. And we know the midfield is going to be absolutely essential to what Arteta does next season and to the sort of steps forward that Arsenal make. And if Declan does end up coming in, which I think we all hope he does, then what happens to this man, Thomas Partey, who... Has had an interesting season. I mean, for two thirds of last season, he was absolutely exceptional. I remember looking back in the day, I looked at my player ratings for the sort of going into the final international break. So I was still at goal and I wrote the sort of player ratings for the Arsenal players. And I had Thomas Partey in my top three players of the season there. I had him at nine out of 10. And then obviously his form dropped off a cliff, whether that be injury or whatever. We know he went away with Ghana with an Arsenal physio for that final international break. He got an injury, didn't play the second game, came back and just didn't look the same. I mean, at Manchester City, I'm convinced he was injured. That wasn't even an 80% fit Thomas Partey playing in that game. And now we hear he could go. You know, a few months ago, we would never have thought this. And now it, it appears that he could well go and the Arsenal are indeed willing to listen to offers for Thomas Partey. There's been reports of Saudi Arabian clubs being in the mix, possibly clubs in Italy as well. Now, how surprised would you be at the decision to move on from Thomas Partey at the same time as Granit Xhaka potentially leaving as well? To lose two of your starting three central midfielders 
in the same summer when you're about to go into Champions League football, how big a risk would that be for Arsenal? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I, I agree with you that I don't think that was widely expected. Um, what I would say on party is that I wouldn't expect anything too imminently. Um, and also the issue is that he earns pretty big money at Arsenal and he's now 30, I think. So there aren't going to be a huge amount of clubs able to match that salary uh, for two remaining years and able to sort of take him off Arsenal's hands in that sense for a price that would be worth selling him for. Um, obviously, the reports for Saudi Arabia changes that somewhat because we know they have the money. Uh, so they could both pay for him and improve his wages, let alone match them. So that that, that would make sense as a possible destination on a financial level uh, a bit later on in the window, perhaps. But yeah, in terms of the team and the structure of the midfield, I, I completely agree with you that I think for the two thirds of last season, he was not only one of Arsenal's best players, but one of the best players in the Premier League, full stop. And I think he was arguably the dominant holding midfielder until that very pronounced dip in the in the spring. And I agree that losing both him and Jacker at once is losing two players who fully understood the system, who were fundamental to the defensive and offensive phases of, of Arsenal's play. And it would it require a big learning job for whoever comes in. I mean, obviously, Declan Rice has got huge potential and he's already a player of very high quality, but he's not played in the system like Arsenal's ever before. And it'll take him a bit of time to adapt to that. Well, it took Thomas Partey a long time to adapt to it, didn't he? When when Mikel switched to the kind of 4-3-3 that we play now, where he is the sole guy at the base of that midfield and basically the deep line playmaker... It took him a while, didn't he? He didn't get up to speed with it straight away. And that's a very experienced Champions League player that we're talking about. And he he struggled to initially adjust to it. So it's a big ask for a new signing to come in and immediately sort of hit hit the ground running in that position. Yeah, you can't you can't phase anybody in if Partey and Xhaka are both gone. No. Because there's no one else to, to work with. I mean, obviously, Jorginho. Yes, there is someone else to work with. There's Jorginho. And I think, actually, Jorginho has been a very good signing and a much yeah, okay. better signing than most people expected, I think. I certainly had doubts in January when that one um, happened. But I think if you, you look at his impact uh, also off the pitch as well as on the pitch, he's been a very good signing indeed. So there is the way you, you could phase, you could phase sort of Rice into that, into that holding the field position um, by using Jorginho. But also I'm, I'm intrigued by the thought of Rice playing in, in Granit Xhaka's role and getting forward more. And you talk to people at West Ham and, I think even Rice has said this on the record a few times over the last couple of years, that he's got a lot more to give in the final third. Um, I was at some of the West Ham European games. I covered their their knockout stages in the Europa Conference League after Arsenal got knocked out by by Sporting in the in the Europa League. And he scored one goal against Ghent. I don't know if you've seen that one, where he, he put the ball up in his own half, surged past two players and, and smashed it in the bottom corner with his left foot. And you I look at that your, and think, I saw your tweet at the time when he scored it, how excited yeah. you were. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit disappointed when I saw the goal because I thought it's really? the goal of the season. <laughs> I think it was one of those where also in the uh, the way the game was flowing, they just scored um, to make it 2-1, I think. And then he did that to make it 3-1 about two minutes later and the crowd was just going mad. So yeah. I think being there made it feel like a better goal than maybe it was. That showcased mm. what he's good at, they're really good at. And we don't see it too lot, you know, when he does get get going he's got he's got pace as not he doesn't you know he's not slow or slouch by any means when he gets going he can drive forward and get into those areas that we saw granite getting in getting into last season yeah and a part of me thinks playing him in the party role 
is almost restricting him to a degree because I think he can offer a lot more going forward. And I think he's one of the best ball carriers in the Premier League in terms of, if you look at the statistics of how much he drives the ball forward and from midfield. And I think he can make things happen. And you look at the way that Arteta was able to convert Xhaka from sort of one-paced holding midfield player with, with a good passing range into this all-action box-to-box midfielder. I can see why he might look at Rice and think, imagine what I could do with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me thinks I don't want to see Rice in the number six role. I want to see him playing in the Xhaka box-to-box position. But obviously, for England, Rice plays that holding midfield position. And, and for West Ham, he's he's fundamentally been in the two or four-two-three-one for most of his West Ham career. So it would be a big shift. And yeah, if you lose Party and and Xhaka, the 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 gap there is is more in the six role, isn't it? Because that's just Georgina. Yeah. Whereas you've got Fabio Vieira, Emil Smith Rowe, and and Odegaard for the, the more advanced positions, if not some other players coming in who we might move on to talk about in a second. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think Emil Smith Rowe is suited to that position as well if he gets himself fit. I think he can play that role. I don't think he necessarily would be a guaranteed starter in that role, but I think he has got a lot to give in that position. We're still waiting for Granite, obviously, for the for the deal to go through with Leverkusen. Hasn't happened yet. I think all of us who are at that final game of the season. We're expecting it to happen pretty quickly. It hasn't. Doesn't sound like it's off by any means. And maybe Arsenal are just waiting to make sure they do get a couple of guys in through the door before they sanction the move. And um, but we are expecting that still to go through. And that leaves, like we said, two very big holes in midfield if Thomas Party goes as well. And I remember I, I sat down with Tommy Asu last season, had a chat with him, and I spoke about Mikel and his methods and what the big difference was last season compared to the previous year. And he said it was just that we understood Mikel more. We understood what he wanted the first season, but it wasn't until the second full season that he was there that they really, truly got what he was asking from in the system. That's my big worry about two players like Partey and Jack are going, that anyone who comes in, even if it is a player as good as Declan Rice and another, that they are going to have that time to adjust. And when you're just not, when you're going in the Champions League, you're not going to have, you can't adjust. You can't, you've got to be on it straight away, you know, in that competition, even in the group stage, it's not like the Europa League, which we've seen Arsenal cruise through without being able to rest a lot of players. They're not going to be able to do that. Arteta's not going to have that luxury this this season. And um, I think it's it's a big risk. There's obviously been a few players linked. Lavia, for example, has been linked as a potential replacement. It's not one that I've heard of or had confirmed to me, so I can't really give anything more on that. I believe you're in a similar situation, but he's obviously, you know, some other journalists are, are linking Lavia to Arsenal, but he's young anyway, you know, could you really throw Lavia in the mix? It's not like Caicedo, for example. I think you'd feel much more comfortable with someone like Caicedo coming in if you're getting rid of Xhaka and Party, you know, get a Caicedo and a Rice, Rice in the same summer, you'd feel a lot more confident than maybe a, a Rice and then a youngster of uh, Lavia's now, I know you're a big fan of Caicedo, big, big fan of Caicedo. I am as well. But, I mean, that's that would be a hugely expensive double deal to do. And at the moment, it doesn't really feel like that Arsenal are in the sort of pole position to potentially get Moises if he does leave Brighton this summer. Yeah, so in January, when Arsenal bid twice for Caicedo, including that £70 million bid towards the end of the window, the plan then was to sign Caicedo in January and then signed Declan Rice in the summer. So the strategy involved both of them. Um, obviously, they couldn't get him in January. Brighton were not 
in the mood to do business at all. And frankly, they've been proven right because they went and got Europa League qualification, which is what they wanted. Yeah. And they can now sell him for even more money. So, you know, well played to them. Um, the situation obviously changed a bit, though, because Arsenal signed Jorginho. And while Jorginho is a short-term player, in the sense that he's not on a five-year contract and he's obviously in his 30s, he is still a player in the squad and he is still there. So you have to factor him in, in terms of that original plan to get them both. And also, I'm with you in that while we know how much Arsenal like him, that's that's obvious. Um, they, they bid £70 million for him. They would have made him their second most expensive player ever in January if they could. And Caicedo was really up for the move and made that clear in his own social media post. Mm. While that is obvious, I'm struggling to see a way they can, they can fund this move along with all the other transfers they're trying to get done at this point in time. Um, what I would say is I certainly haven't had any information to suggest that Arsenal are out of the race. Um, my understanding is that Chelsea are very much leading that race. And frankly, when you look at it logically, Chelsea have, have lost Kante. They're likely to lose Kovacic. Mason Mount's going. There's talk about Conor Gallagher maybe going as well. There's a big gap in that midfield. And I can see why it would be quite a compelling place for Caicedo to, to go and why Arsenal may lose out to Chelsea on that one. And I think maybe losing out is the wrong phrase, actually, because Chelsea are leading the race as it stands and Arsenal have clearly got other priorities. Um, so, yeah, I would be surprised if that if that happens. But we know they like the player and we know that Arsenal might make some sales this summer, generate some money. Um, so I definitely don't want to rule it out. And I'm, <laughs> I'm conscious of, as I'm sure you are, of aggregators and, and the like, and that's fine. They do a great job and a great service. But... Um, uh, Effectively, I don't want to rule it out, but I think it's unlikely. No, you, you can never rule anything out, can you? you? Can always something can always happen with a with transfers. It's impossible to say no one hundred percent. And I mean, I think it'd be a fantastic addition. I just feel with someone like Lavia, who we spoke about earlier, someone of his age. I just think if you're bringing in, if you're losing two players of such importance of Party and Jacker in the same season, I think turning to youth in that area is a big, big risk. And I think Jorginho has been excellent. I really do. I mean, I, I had my reservations when he signed. I really did. They were slightly tempered when I found out the contract length and the fee that Arsenal were paying. I wasn't quite so worried about it then, but he surprised me at how good he has been since he's, since he arrived at Arsenal. And all the talk about his legs have gone. I think his performance in the game at St. James's Park at the end of last season, which was such an intense game, played at such a ferocious pace. And his performance in that game, I think, put a lot of, those concerns to bed for me anyway I thought he was excellent as he was in the majority of matches he played and if he does play next season if he does play a big part next season I think he's you know I think he's proven that he has a big part to play and he can and he can play well especially in the Champions League but I think you need more I don't think you can just have Declan Rice as your only summer signing this summer can you if Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey goes it has to be two coming in yeah, just on just on Jorginho, um, this is not meant as a dig. It's actually meant as a sort of praise of him and his intelligence. But your legs can't really go when you never had legs in the first place, I suppose. That is true, yeah. You see, like the the, the dip when parties. Oh, someone's at the door. <laughs> this is unprofessional. Can you give me two seconds to answer that door? Go for it. I will. Uh, I will ramble. I'll take you off screen. I will ramble. <laughs> this is high Back class. Up. High class reporting. There you go. We'll let we'll let Sam go and uh, go and answer his door, and I think we're all on eager, on on edge to find out who that who that would be. Um, 
but yeah, we were talking about Jorginho there before before Dino left, and I have been really surprised at how impressive Jorginho has been. And when I, when he first signed, I kind of looked at it as a loan deal almost, although it was a permanent deal on an eighteen month contract with an option of another year. I kind of looked at it as a bit of a loan, um, and. I thought they might just keep him till the end of the season, move him on this summer, get a little bit of money and then potentially go for a, a Caicedo or, a, or or someone else. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at the moment, with, although Lazio have been linked with with Jorginho. Um, but it looks like he's going to say we've got Dino back. Dino, who is at the door? Yeah, it was it was the postman. Apologies. Apologies. Um, what was I saying? Jorginho. Yeah, you can't really lose your legs if you haven't got legs at all in the first place. Um, I just think with a player like him, um, the system is everything. Imagine playing him in that midfield under Unai Emery a few years ago, for example, when the midfield had to cover about 80 yards. It was so yeah. open. The, the, the forwards pressed and the defenders sat back and it was just carnage and teams were just running straight through the middle of them. I think in that scenario, I think Jorginho would just look like just he'd struggle horribly. Um, yeah. But in a system as slick and well-functioning and compact as... Arteta's, I think he looks pretty good. Um, and I think that's also no coincidence that he went from struggling at a chaotic Chelsea team to doing very well at a well-structured Arsenal team, almost sort of overnight. Um, yeah. Just on Caicedo, this is just my personal opinion. Um, and I, I don't think it's, well, it's very clear that this is not what's going to be happening or what the club think. But he played a few times at right-back towards the end of the season, um, including at the Emirates, when he did a really good job. Um he also did it against Manchester United and, and did very well against Marcus Rashford. I think it was Rashford, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Rashford. Um, and I wonder that g- given Arsenal's obvious need to strengthen in that position as well, um, or to at least provide depth and cover in that position, I wondered if there was an argument for saying, if you sign Caicedo, you're effectively signing two players and one, or you're filling two gaps with one player, central midfield and right back. Um which obviously makes the high price a bit more palatable. Now, obviously, uh, as we'll come on to discuss, I'm sure Arsenal have other people in mind for that right-back, centre-back role. Um, there's your man, Julian Timber from Ajax. So clearly that isn't what they're pursuing. Um, that, that was just... It was almost sort of me trying to logically think of a way in which Caicedo could be worth all the money on on top of everything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, uh, as David Ornstein reported the other night... Uh, Fair play to David, brilliant story. Um, Arsenal are in very much advanced talks for, for Timber. My understanding on, on Timber is that he's been the top defensive target for, for quite a few weeks and they like the idea of him playing as a right-back, tucking in in the same way that Sinchenko does on the left. Well, you wrote a very good piece about this that went out on the Telegraph. I'll drop it into the comments below, uh, the link to it, so you guys can have a read of it, analysis on it, and you called him like the inverted right-back and um, really good piece, and so you think he fits that system well? Do you? He would fit that system well. I think you're probably a little bit more of an expert on him than than I am. Well, I can't say I've seen him play a huge amount of times. I saw him a bit at the World Cup, I think. Um, but it, his skill set and my understanding of what Arsenal envisage from him uh, allows him to play the centre back, obviously, as we know, which would cover for Saliba or, or Ben White or even Gabriel, perhaps, and had more depth there, which everyone knows is is needed, but also give him that option, which they used at the end of the season, if you remember, with Thomas Partey playing as a right-back, tucking in when Zinchenko was injured. And I think if you want to play the way they do, you need to have more than one full-back who can come into midfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So they, they play a certain way with Zinchenko. And then when Zinchenko is injured, it doesn't quite work in the same way. Um, Kiratini is, I think, a very good left back, but I don't think he's a natural in that role. I think that's fair to say. And the fact that they got Thomas Partey to try it uh, was an indication of how they want to balance the team out that way. Mm-hmm. So with Champions League football to play, with the long Premier League season ahead, you can't say Zinchenko is going to play every single minute. Um, and I just think getting a player like him, I think their plan is, will allow them to to almost flip the build-up, if that makes sense. Um, to build up with the back three, then the two. But instead of Zinchenko coming from the left, it'd be timbering from the right. Yeah, I mean, he fits the profile of what Arsenal go for in the transfer market now, doesn't he? He's 22, he's that sort of age. That, uh, yeah. that Arteta Versatile as well. Yeah. Versatile, which we know is really key. I think you look at the defence that Arteta's building here, you've got the two corner linchpins in centre in the central areas in Gabriel and Tierney, but then everyone else basically can kind of rotate around there, apart from Kieran, maybe, who you spoke about. He's kind of the old school left back, but he's not an Arteta signing. He was already there. But you look at Ben White, you look at you know Tommy Asu can play right back, centre back, left back. Timber, if he comes in, centre back or right back. And that versatility is so important to Arsenal and to Arteta and the way he plays. Um, my understanding on this deal is of very much negotiations ongoing with Ajax. Yes, the first bid was rejected, but the interest is still there and Arsenal will go back with a second bid. The valuation seems to be quite apart, though. And we saw this last summer with Lissandro Martinez when Arsenal bid multiple times for Martinez. Ajax stood firm, had a figure, they didn't budge. Arsenal ended up backing away. So we're very far from this being a, a deal-done situation, aren't we? Yeah, I um, I met someone this morning um, who's relevant to this, let's say, and put a few things to them. I did, it's an insight into the journalistic world. I didn't get much back at this point uh, beyond that this is, in his words, a crucial a crucial time in this deal. Um, there's a few reports on Twitter. I don't know. You know what Arsenal Twitter's like. There's a few reports that he's on a flight to London as, as we speak. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> which, which um, you know, Arsenal Twitter's unmatched when it they comes were tracking to... It, they were tracking his agent's <laughs> plane last night. And they, they thought the yeah. agent was on the plane because he was posted a picture from an airport and they were tracking his plane to London. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm very much expecting to be writing again about, about Timber today. Um, as I say, all I know at this point, at the time of recording, is that these are crucial moments in the deal and crucial details. Yeah. What that exactly means, I don't know yet, but that's my job to find out this afternoon and to see what might be happening. But based on reports in, in Holland, um, and I think very well, sort of very creditable reports too, um, Timber seems pretty set on on Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. And Arsenal clearly pretty set on him because they put that first bid in as as David revealed the other night. What do you think it should mean for Ben White if he, if he signed? Because I mean, Ben White's one of Arsenal's most consistent players. I thought he was fantastic for the majority of last season, one or two games maybe dipped a little bit. But other than that, he was fantastic. That The partnership he has with Saka down the right has been so influential for Arsenal. So, you know, is this a case of squad building or is this a case of potentially coming in as a, as a regular starting 11 member? Uh, my understanding is that there was some sort of, and I think this is obvious as well based on the substitutions that Arteta made throughout the season, is that there were some sort of physical issues with, with for White adapting to that right-back role. It requires a lot more um, sort of for powerful running. And I'm sure that's not the, the the specific term that they use internally, but it's a different strain on the body playing at right back. And if you remember for the first sort of half of the season, he would regularly be subbed off for, for Tommy Asu after sort of 70 minutes. Yeah. Um, obviously, when Tommy Asu got injured in March against Sporting Lisbon on that fateful day when, when Saliba also limped off, 
from that point on, they they couldn't really change that. And White was the only option uh, at right back. So it makes a lot of sense to have someone else come in um, to provide competition to help him. And as I say, I think if you think about it in a balance, that, you know, you play White with Zinchenko and then maybe Kivior and Timber, it sort of flips in a nice way with build-up and one player tucking in and one player playing a bit more deep. Um, I, I certainly can't envisage White losing significance or importance to this team. We we know how crucially is to, to everything that Arteta's done over the past couple of years and I can't see that changing. Uh, what what I think it does say is I don't think it's great for Tommy Asu, who obviously is out anyway with a, with a knee problem, but uh, you can't imagine this is good news for his, his prospects of playing more. Uh, and also the same is true of Rob Holding, I would say, who came in for Saliba, as we know, end of last season and then um, lost his place in the team towards the right at the end of the campaign, last three or four games. Um, so this is one more person ahead of, of Tommy Asu and Holding in that queue. Um, so the knock-on effect of that will be interesting, but I don't see White being sort of having his game time dramatically reduced by this. No. I kind of look at that and, and I mean, I, I think Holding will go this summer. We'd be very surprised if Holding is still there. And if Timber does come in, who is probably seen more as a centre-back than a right-back even, um, um, kind of similar to Rob, uh, to Ben White. But I think the sort of options that would do centre-back-wise, if he came in, yes, he can play right-back, but he could play centre-back. You have White, you could do that as well. Kivio as well. Arsenal suddenly looking very well stocked in a central area, I think, if if he comes in. I think with Tommy Asu as well, I kind of see if Kieran Tierney goes, I wonder if Tommy Asu will be seen as a sort of natural left-sided cover for um, Zinchenko if he gets injured because we saw him do that against Liverpool earlier in the season, didn't he? He preferred Tommy Asu to, to Tierney in that game and it worked very well against Mo Salah. The fact that he's right-footed almost allows him to drift into the central areas a little bit better than, than Tierney would when he wants to go on the overlap. So I wonder if yeah another right-back comes in. It doesn't necessarily mean the end of Tommy Asu, it just means that maybe we'll see him more seen as the left-back option rather than the right-back option. Um, okay, quickly before we get onto a, a couple of questions to finish this off, Kai Havertz. Yeah. Interesting one. Yeah. Havertz, really interesting one that has caused so much debate on this channel, on my social media channels. Some people very excited about it and the possibility of him signing. Others absolutely against it and the thought of giving Chelsea money for a player that has done... Not that much, aside from winning them a Champions League, of course. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, which paid back that price tag, to be fair. Um, but it, it's it's definitely one that's divided opinion. I've definitely got my reservations about it. I know you like Kai Havertz and think he's a very good player and you yeah. think he'd be a good signing for Arsenal. So tell me why. I did a really sort of big piece. We do, Every now and then we, we get the sort of freedom and licence to do a really big profile piece we get to work weeks on it and speak to as many people as we can um I did that for Havertz when he first joined Chelsea I spoke to sort of his uh, his first coaches but by Leverkusen but people around him and the level of excitement at that point in Germany around him was almost higher than anyone else for quite 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 a long time he was really seen as this top world-class talent and people were telling me that from the moment he sort of walked through the doors, age 10 or whatever it was, they could see that this was someone really, really special, which makes me think a little bit of Martin Odegaard um, in the sense of this sort of wonder kid at teenage level and this this natural talent that 
if harnessed correctly, could be an enormous player in world football, um, let alone just Premier League football. That's why Chelsea paid £72 million for him, um, clearly. And since then, there have been flashes, but nothing sustained. And that's been the problem for him. I think he's admitted it himself that consistency has not been there. You mentioned the Champions League winning final. Champions League goal to win the final. He's also scored the penalty in the Club World Cup final to win them that. So he's he's shown he can handle himself in big moments. And I just think with the way, and this ties in a bit as well, what we're saying about Jorginho, with the way that Arteta has built his formation and his system and how choreographed and precise it is, in that kind of structure, someone like Havertz should theoretically shine the way that Martin Odegaard has done, the way that Gabriel Martinelli gets the ball in the same position, in the same part of the game, in the same phase of each attack every time he plays. And he knows what he's doing with it. It's structured, it's coached, it's deliberate. And Havertz can play on the right, he can play on the left, although not really as a winger in the same way. He can play as a as a number nine, although I wouldn't say that's his best position, or as a false nine, which is effectively what Jesus does anyway. So he fills in for Jesus and that provides cover for Saka because Jesus could then play on the right wing, obviously. Mm. And the thing that really intrigues me, and I'd love to know, I'd love to have a press conference with Mikel Arteta right now because obviously we can't get hold of him. as We can't speak to him in a media setting like we normally would at the moment because it's off-season. I'd love to just ask him, do you see Havertz? as a possible player in that Xhaka role, that left-sided number eight, because... That's the key thing, I think, in all of this, is is that what he's looking at for this deal? Yeah, exactly. And and that goes back to what we were saying about midfield earlier, of getting two players in, two players out. If if they see Havertz as that left eight, or a potential left eight, then that's potentially really exciting. If that works, can you imagine a midfield of Rice, Odegaard and Havertz, all of them playing at the top of their game? That would be... Yeah, that'll be something pretty special, I think. Now, obviously, there are defensive requirements in that role that Xhaka was very good at as a sort of former holding midfielder. Xhaka, Xhaka knew what he was doing, and I can't imagine Havertz could just slip seamlessly into that. And it might have a knock-on effect on Odegaard and the way he defends and the way he presses too. But, but Havertz is an athletic. He's tall. He's He's got great feet. He's technical. He's a really good player. My only reservation with him and this deal, from a personal point of view, is, is the cost because... For a player of that expense, and I think the latest suggestion is that it's going to be around £60 million. There's no obvious place for him in the starting lineup as it stands, unless you're saying he's going to play in that left eight role for sure. Mm-hmm. A lot of money to spend on effectively the f- first rotation, the first backup option. But I'm torn between thinking that and thinking this is a squad game now. Football has become a squad game. Liverpool don't sign players for the 11, they sign players for the squad. Man City don't sign players for the eleven either. These are these are squad building moves, and I think Arsenal are trying to move away from buying players just for one position in the team because they've got to play so many games and people get injured and they've got to have fluidity and flexibility. And Havertz is a Premier League player who has proven himself to have flexibility and fluidity. And if he comes even close to his potential, then he's going to be a bargain because he's a hundred million pound player at his best, if not more. I think that's really important. I think this summer, the tra- for Arsenal, I think this summer the transfer window is all about improving the first 16, 17, 18 players in the squad, isn't it? I don't think it's about the starting eleven necessarily. If they're gonna, what let Arsenal down last season wasn't the starting eleven. It was the it was the strength of the squad when some of those players in the starting eleven 
dropped out. The players who came in to replace him just weren't up to the required standard. And that's when Arsenal dipped, especially during the during the final weeks of the season. Once Saliba went out, once Tommy Asu went, they just didn't have the required quality of players to step in and fill that void. And that's where and and results were impacted because of that. So I think that's a really that's what this summer's all about for me for Arsenal is improving that that level of the first 16, 17, 18 players in the squad rather than necessarily the starting level. And there's no doubt that Havertz would do that. I think he's an intriguing player. I'm it, it's 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 very much one that I think I just put a lot of trust in Mikel and Edu in terms of their talent ID. They've they've warranted, they've deserved yeah. to have quite a bit of trust built up for what they've done. And the majority of the signings have been decent. Not all of them, but no one's going to get every signing right. It's impossible. There's always going to be some misses. And the majority of signings they've made has improved the team and improved the squad. And I think Havertz has definitely got the potential to be a top quality player. It's just I'm I'm as intrigued as you as where Mikel sees him playing. You know, is that is he a kind of wild card? Um, for that left eight role, if Granite Xhaka does go, is that Arteta's plan? And it's going to be intriguing to see if that does. From my understanding, this one, if if any deal is going to happen with Arsenal at the moment, this one could be is is pretty the sort of closest. That was before, to be fair, the the Timber deal came out of the blue, and maybe that could that could move ahead. But I understand that Havertz is looking pretty good in terms of, of it happening. So that'll be um yeah. That, that'd be an interesting one. Uh, right, one I'm going to move on. Oh, sorry, just, go on. Just, just quickly on Havertz, it's, I've written a piece uh, which should be going live any minute now uh, about sort of where he might fit in and, and analysing the deal. And one thing, it's so basic, but I think it's actually relevant, is that he's quite tall. Mm. And none of Arsenal's current forward options, wingers or strikers, are taller than five foot eleven, which is Eddie's actually the tallest player in that front line, which is bizarre when you think about it. Um, Havertz is six foot two, six foot three, and of his thirty-two goals for Chelsea, ten of them were headers. Mm. So he's actually he's very good in the air, um, which just adds another option against deep line defenses, which we saw particularly around Christmas time, January, February. Mm. Teams just camped in against Arsenal and let them cross the ball. Yeah, with someone like Havertz in the team, that just adds a different layer of threat. Yeah, it does. I mean, you sort of think about it in, in terms of open play headers. There weren't many that Arsenal scored. I'm, I'm trying to think of them. Gabriel Jesus scored one at Liverpool, didn't he? And Granite scored one. Was it against Leeds or in the is either the Palace or the Leeds game, the 4-1? He scored on a sort of late late run into the box and headed it in. But other than that, it was it didn't really have that option. They didn't get any success. It was all along the floor, wasn't it? So I think he would provide a valuable option in terms of height that Arsenal definitely, definitely need. Um Okay, before we go, Dino, just a few questions that we can both look to answer. Um, This is one from Isaiah. He says, if Partey and Xhaka both leave, do you think that could convince Patino that there's a path to the first team for him? I know he was set to leave, but I'm wondering if a midfield shuffle, even if we bring in a new six and number eight, could impact his likely departure. Uh, I'll start off on that. I don't mm. think so, basically. I think I'd be very surprised if Charlie is still at Arsenal at the end of this summer. Um, and I don't think anything that happens in the transfer market is really going to change that because you know, even if a couple of players come in, uh, go out, they're going to be replaced by top quality players coming in and that pathway is still not going to be there for Charlie. And he wants to play. He wants to go out and play. Um, he had a good season at Blackpool last season and he doesn't want to go back to sort of sitting on the bench, getting a few minutes somewhere. And he doesn't want to go out on loan 
again. So I know it's being worked on at the moment and Arsenal are taking their time. They want to make sure the club's right. It's all kind of amicable and, um, you know, Arsenal will protect themselves. They'll get some sort of buyback clause or matching right clause included in any deal they agree. So they could potentially bring Charlie back to the club if they wanted to. But I, th- I imagine you're probably going to agree with me on that one, Dino. But if not, let me know why. Uh, no, I do agree. And I would, from a personal point of view, stress the importance of getting a buyback clause or, or matching rights, as you say, because it's very obvious. <laughs> I think everyone knows it. All the first team players certainly know it, that Patino is a player of like real genuine talent so what you don't want is him going off to a sort of lower Premier League team or, or upper championship side playing amazingly for two years and then joining Man City um, exactly, no yeah. one wants that from Arsenal point of view so they need to protect themselves against that to a degree the only thing I would say and I want to say this sort of just playing devil's advocate but I don't expect this at all is is if he went on the tour for example and just shone which he has the potential to do so and suddenly they thought you know what he is ready that would be the only thing, like give him pre-season, just have a little look. But yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I, I can't see it. Well, he didn't do that last season. He should have gone on tour last season. He didn't. He decided to take Lucas Torreira and players like that, even though they were leaving, which I never quite understood. So I'd be surprised if he went on it this season. But you never know. And let's have David says here, just read West Ham have t- turned down the second bid for Rice 75 plus add-ons. Um, how do you feel about Edu and Arsenal playing that arrogant way of making bids? Arsenal just pay a hundred million and get it sorted. Otherwise, we'll miss out on another player. Arsenal need to show they mean business. For me, they are acting in a disrespectful way to other teams. Now, I don't agree with that. I'm pretty sure you don't, given what you said at the start of this when we talked about Declan Rice and the fact that you don't want to go in and show your hand straight away. But I, I don't think it's disrespecting West Ham. I mean, it's a ninety million pound bid at the end of the day for Declan Rice. Yeah, I don't think. That's... As we said before, it's it's eighteen million pounds more than Arsenal ever paid for anyone in their history. So it's hardly disrespectful. It's a pretty serious offer. Um, and as I sort of slightly said before, but I don't think I worded it particularly well. Um, if you're West Ham and the first bid comes in at a hundred million, do you really just go, yeah, fine deal, see ya? I think the first thing you say is no, hundred twenty. Mm. That's, that's that's how negotiations work. If I wanted to buy that picture behind you, Charlie, and say five quid, you'd say 10. It's just, yeah. So I don't think it's particularly fair to just say, pay the asking price and go, because I think asking prices can be quite fluid as well. So it's, it's a process. It's a process. And yes, it's fair to say that Arsenal haven't have missed out on top targets before. That is a fair point to say. So the, the negotiation process and how it's done and who's done it you can say has not always been completely efficient. But let, let's see. As discussed with you and, and as you agree, I think they're going to get Rice. And I think they're going to get Rice for a lot of money. And West Ham will be quite happy and Arsenal will be quite happy. Mm-hmm. So let's not jump around too much on this, I don't think, at this point. Obviously, if they don't get him and someone else comes in and swoops swoops and takes him off their hands like Man City, then I think it would be reasonable to ask serious questions. But at this stage, not for me. Yeah, I agree. I think the outcome of it all, you know, if Arsenal get him in the end of the day, then the what's gone on the last couple of weeks doesn't really matter. But if if someone does a Chelsea with Mudrick and uh, swoops in, then I think it's going to be a tough one to take for for everyone. But we shall see how that goes. Um, Scott says, Charles, even with Havertz potentially coming in, does it not worry you uh, that to compete on all fronts, we need a striker that will bag 20 goals a season? It's an interesting one. I mean, Jesus scored 11 goals last season. He, when he came back into the side, he wasn't the same player, I didn't think. He didn't 
caused the chaos that he maybe caused in the first half of the season before his injury. But his goal tally wasn't actually that bad. He scored more in that little run to the end of the season than he did in the first run when he before he got his injury. So he's still got 11 goals. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all next season if Jesus would score 20. But I just, the way that Arsenal play, I don't think it's absolutely essential that you have a 20 goal a season man. Obviously, it would be great if you had an Erling Haaland up front. But, you know, Arsenal scored, what, 98 goals last season or 88 goals last season? 88 in the league, yeah. Last season, it was shared around, and I don't see that changing next season. We saw what Saka did for England the other day. Sensational hat trick. Martinelli got 15 last season. Odegaard got 15 last season. I think if Havertz came in, he would and played in that um, eight role. He, he had the potential to score a load of goals next season. Jesus certainly has. So I, I, I think it'd be great to have a a, a Haaland type strike. Of course it would, but I don't think it's a be on end all because of the way Arteta sets his team up and because of the way the goals are shared around. Who out there is going to score 50 goals for Arsenal? Who are they going yeah. to buy? Mbappe's not coming to Arsenal, sorry. Haaland's not coming to Arsenal, he plays for Man City. Kane's not going to Arsenal. So, Ivan Tony's banned. I don't think he'd score 50 goals for Arsenal either. So, it's all very well saying, well, Arsenal need a 30-goal season striker or whoever, someone who can score all the goals. But who? How much are they going to cost? There aren't that many of them around. It's not how... It's not. It's the, the market's not flush, full of, full of, out and out goal scoring centre forwards. Mm. So Flo yeah. Balogun, Flo Balogun, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. A, it's an interesting one, Flo, isn't it? I get so mm. many questions about Flo, and um, I talked about it in yesterday's video. Actually, people saying, you know, why just just keep Flo sell Eddie, but it's not as simple as that, is it? Because of the contract situation with Balogun, because he wants to be playing week in week out now. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you have to make a difficult decision to sell a player. Because of because of different circumstances, and I think with, with Balogun and that contract situation and his determination to now go out on his own and play and be the main man somewhere, it's it's just not going to happen at Arsenal. I, I don't think so. I can understand if he does get sold this summer. I can understand why the club regrettably will have to do it. Yeah, and also, I know at the moment that the the general vibe is very much Balogun's the future, but he he's never done it in the Premier League and though he's not had many chances to do so but he's never really done it in England obviously he went on loan to Middlesbrough and had a pretty mediocre spell there on loan um, last season obviously I mean every player develops at different rates so it's it's different last season he was very good in Liga and that's great but players have come from Liga before and struggled it's a well, different Lacazette, Lacazette scored 29 goals last season in, in Liga yeah Nicolas Pepe cost 72 million pounds yeah I mean it's the, the scoring goals in Liga is not a guarantee of Premier League success, and Arsenal have to make money. They have to sell players, and he's the most sellable, I think, in the squad. And and compared to Eddie, for me, Eddie's got Premier League experience now. He's got he knows the league. He's he's got the robustness that's required now to play up front. I think he did a good job generally for Arsenal when Jesus got injured. Overall, when when that knee injury happened to Jesus at the World Cup. People were really concerned, obviously. Even within the club, they were really concerned. And Eddie, I think, for a good two months, did a really good job of filling in for him, scoring goals, leading the line, showing there was more to his game than, than just sort of tap-ins, which people thought before. Obviously, he had a few injury issues, and Trossard came in towards the end of Jesus' absence. And there are questions over whether Eddie can sort of really be an impact sub because he's not got a great record off the bench. But fundamentally, he knows what the league's like. He's He's valuable to have in the squad. He's, he's a really good character. He trains very hard. I think he's getting a sort of tough, 
time at the moment from from people who's getting unfairly unfairly digged out a bit. Um, no, I agree. Balogun. People, I think, I think it's always a, it's always the case that it's Balogun, sort of the unknown, and the unknown is more sexy than the known. But yeah, I, it's I, like I, the, I the shiny new toy type type thing, isn't it? It's like we yeah. we've got we've seen that we we'd rather this one and. Um, yeah. I, I, ultimately, oh. until Balogun comes and does it in the Premier League, I think it's very it's it's hard to compare him to to Eddie. I think. What I would say, just on that, sort of backtracking on myself, is Arsenal are about to spend a lot of money on quite a few players, and they will need to make sales. If there is a big offer for Eddie rather than Balogun, then you've got to sell Eddie. Mm-hmm. You keep Balogun. So I'm not saying, oh, you should definitely sell Flo and, and definitely keep Eddie because it depends a bit on the interest level and, and what comes up. But I think it's more likely that Balogun goes. And I think that makes yeah. more sense. It's kind of a Leno, um, Emmy Martinez situation, isn't it? I think in that summer that Emmy, there was just a much bigger market for Emmy that summer than there was for Leno. And so it's much easier. Arsenal had to sell one of them and it was a lot easier to sell Martinez for a lot of money than it was to sell Leno. And I, I kind of look at this situation as similar. I just think this summer, because of the market, because of what Balogun's done, because of his contract situation, it's going to be easier to sell Balogun than it is Eddie this summer. And you've realistically, you've got to sell one of them because you've got to bring a bit of money into the club. Yeah, agreed. Okay, final one before I let you go, because I've held you for a lot longer than I thought I was going to, Dino. So thank you very much for this. Um, uh, I, I, chilling stuff. says, Declan Rice for £90 million is... An absolute joke. He's not a master of anything. Caicedo would be a far better player with a better investment. I think that's pretty harsh, but I think it's quite an interesting one nonetheless in terms of which player would be a better investment and who is a better player between Declan Rice and Caicedo. Now, they're two very different players for a start. And I absolutely do not think Declan Rice is average by any means. I think he's a very good player. Like I said, I think he'd be one of Arsenal's biggest signings, if not the biggest signings since Cole Campbell. But if you could only sign one of them this summer for Arsenal, if you were Makatez, who would you go for uh, out of spending £100 million on when it comes to Rice or Caicedo? I'd go for Rice. Um, I agree. I agree. And you know how much I rate Caicedo. And I was lucky enough to see quite a lot of Brighton last season. Really, really like what Deserby's doing there. I think he's a very good player. And obviously the right back thing we discussed before is is relevant with Caicedo. But for me, Rice is he's got three or four more years on Caicedo in terms of experience. He's played in huge games for England. He's just won a European trophy for West Ham, basically led them there, very much dragged the team to that final, even if he wasn't great in the final itself. And there's a level of I think leadership and personality and and character benefit. Uh, behind the scenes as well and we know how important that is to Arteta and how much that's informed their transfer decisions over the past two or three years I think he ticks every box Um, and obviously we've not seen Rice in a team that dominates possession and plays in the way that Arsenal do but for me that is a source of excitement and making me think that he could do he could do a lot more than we've seen already and I think that's how Rice views it um, Caicedo does play in a system that's similar to Arsenal's and is incredibly good in that system. Um, but he's also younger. He's uh, he's a more quiet character. Obviously, the language is still he's still learning English, and he wouldn't he wouldn't come in straight away and be a leader of that of that squad um, in the way that Rice will. Obviously, in long term, I think Caicedo has got that in him. 
but for now Rice sits sits straight in, and also you have to think about that with with Xhaka going. I think most people know now, and even the ones who used to criticise Xhaka have come to accept how important a role he plays or has played behind the scenes as a leader. Obviously, he was voted captain by the players under Emery, and then lost it for all the reasons we know about. But the fact that he was voted captain is relevant in itself. Um, he he is. He has been one of the captains, one of the leaders, uh, mm-hmm. with or without the armband, ever since he walked through the doors at Arsenal. So losing him is a big loss behind the scenes too, someone who sets the standard and drives the team forward. And Rice brings that off the pitch. Um, and that's before you consider the on-the-pitch things too. So for me, no slight on Caicedo at all, who I, who I think is going to be one of the dominant Premier League midfielders for a long old time. But uh, I would go with Rice. Yeah. I agree, one hundred percent for pretty much everything that you've uh, just listed there. I think, I think the leadership thing is a big part of it, and um, and I think he'd slot in and make Arsenal a better team straight away. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me, Dino. I really appreciate it. Sorry, I've held you for fifty-five minutes there, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for watching. As always. In the comments below, I'm going to leave Sam's social media handles. Give him a follow on Twitter if you don't already, because he is well worth following, uh, which I'm sure he won't say himself because he's the nicest (laughs) man in sports journalism, but he is well worth following for all your latest Arsenal news. And I'll link to his stories as well. Uh, He's got one coming of Havertz. I'll drop that in when it arrives. And the one on uh, Timber as well, which is well worth a read. So thank you again, Sam, for Uh, for joining me and thank you everyone for watching please do anything you agreed with disagree with let me know in the comments below and i'll go through some of them and discuss them in tomorrow's video thanks everyone have a good day mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 